prayer today in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, Patrick, uh, he's been he's been down. He he took a COVID test and it came back positive. That was last week that that happened. The doctor uh, said that he had become toxic last Monday, but he's been working from home. So he's been out of harm's way, but I talked to him late yesterday afternoon, and he said that he was on the mend and even took his uh, motorcycle to Sturgis, South Dakota. (laughs) Was that right, Patrick? Did I get that right? No, he didn't go to Sturgis, South Dakota. He just, but he is, he's, uh, he's feeling a little bit better, and, and we, our continued prayers go out to he and his family. All right. So, in the, in the late 1980s, Amy Grant was touring with her band, and, and one of her band members was a man by the name of Chris Eaton. Chris uh, Eaton had previously played with Art Garfunkel of Simon and Garfunkel fame and with Roger Daltrey, who played with the British rock band The Who. Thank you very much. I'm glad to see you are musically literate. (laughs) Now, Chris had written a song. It was sort of an everybody song. It could have applied to anybody the way he had written it. Uh, And he had entitled that song, Breath of Heaven. Um, But when his colleague, Amy Grant, saw it, uh, she was pregnant at the time. And she immediately saw this application of this, this general generic song out there, saw its application to a young woman carrying a, to a, carrying a child for the very first time. And she kind of, mm, let's say she massaged the lyrics a little bit. And, uh, and, and she took those words and she applied it to a particular young woman carrying a very special child. Uh, and she was herself, this, this special woman carrying this special child, was pregnant herself for the very first time. Her name was Mary. And here's how Mary's story developed. Mary had a cousin named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was married to a priest named Zechariah. Uh, well, after years of married life, Elizabeth was still without child, much to the frustration and anguish uh, of both Zechariah and Elizabeth. Not only was it a personal frustration, but in the day, a barren womb was viewed as a judgment from God which can't be particularly good for a priest. Think, think about our church. Think about what it would be like, how sparse this crowd might be if every Sunday there was a preceding hailstorm and locusts crawling over the place. And, and that lake would turn to blood. Well, that wouldn't help attendance much. For Zechariah and Elizabeth to be without child was viewed in much the same way as a judgment from God. So not only would there be the continuous heartbreak, but it would be potentially career threatening as well for Zechariah. 
one day, Zechariah was visited by an angel who told them that they would have a son. Zechariah knew that biologically it'd be a miracle child. And so Zechariah tried to explain to the angel that this could not possibly be and that this would not happen. The result was not dissimilar to the first time and the last time I stuck my tongue out at my father. We, we call it retributive justice. Zechariah was struck dumb. I was just struck. <laughs> but sure enough, eventually Elizabeth would become pregnant. Well, six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, another angel, this one Gabriel, was deployed to Nazareth and met with a young teen named Mary. Mary was betrothed to a carpenter named Joseph. And Gabriel told Mary that she would be the mother of the Messiah, and his name would be Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua in the Hebrew language, which means Savior. It was Joshua who would save the Israelites and bring them into the promised land. And it would be Jesus, Yeshua, who would save God's people and bring them into the promised land, heaven. The angel's greeting was beautiful, but it was a little bit unsettling. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. That's a beautiful, but left without explanation, it would be troubling to anybody. It conjures up questions like, what do you mean favored? What does that mean? Why would an angel tell me that? God has been silent for 400 years. Is this, is this now a judgment coming on the land? And, and why would the angel say the Lord is with you? Does, it, does this mean that the Lord hasn't been with me up until now? Is God still with the rest of Israel? And how about my betrothed, Joseph? Is God with him? Well, I have a confession to make to you tonight. I've never been pregnant. And so I'm completely insensitive to the questions and concerns of a pregnant mom. But I'm quite certain that any pregnancy is accompanied with about a gajillion questions. What will it be like to be pregnant? What will happen to my body? Will the baby be healthy? Will I and the baby survive childbirth? What will the baby grow up to be? Not only did... Mary had those questions, but Amy Grant would have known these questions as a now pregnant lady. So Amy Grant massaged those lyrics regarding the inward thoughts of Mary, whose concern at being pregnant were exacerbated by the way in which she would become pregnant, to be sure that would be a road less traveled. Now, I have asked Gordon and Carol to do something for us this morning, for me in particular this morning, because 
I felt like it would be appropriate at this moment. And so at the 11th hour, uh, almost literally the 11th hour, I asked Gordon Carroll to learn a new song uh, to present to you today. And it's a song entitled Breath of Heaven. Now, it, it, it is... I'm going to build this into the sermon, so I want you to be aware of the words. And so I put the words on the outline, not Patrick's outline in the bulletin, my outline in the bulletin. And I put the words right in the middle of the page uh, to those. And I want you to follow along as Gordon and Carol uh, share with me this 11th hour crisis Call, breath of heaven. Should have had my place, but I offer 
think that after Nancy and after Carol, I could just pronounce the benediction. It's still a win. <laughs> Thank you, Gordon and Carol. I appreciate it. That took a lot of work and you could have all of Christmas Day off. <laughs> you know, we're complicated creatures. We have good days and we have bad days. And those good days and bad days are sometimes affected by the events that go around us. And and I think that that song certainly expresses the timid, quizzical, fearful side of Mary. And it's Amy Grant's adaptation of Mary's song. She has wandered cold and weary from Nazareth to Jerusalem, perhaps anywhere from 65 to 90 miles away. Mary had many shortened days and long nights crying out, Holy Father, you have selected me, a humble peasant girl, to carry your son. Can, can you get inside Mary's head with that? How that would be a very fearful and intimidating thing. It may well be the case that as her pregnancy progressed, as she had only been betrothed and not ordinarily subject to, to pregnancy at that point, that she was sent out of the small village of Nazareth with all of its small town prying eyes and, and sent to live with her cousin Elizabeth. Mary would be virtually inconspicuous in a city as large and cosmopolitan as Jerusalem. And I guess it, the text actually said that she was in the hill country near Jerusalem. And since uh, Zechariah was the priest and who would serve in the temple. He had a living commuting distance, and on foot that wouldn't have been too far. She wondered, according to Chris Eaton and Amy Grant, would she have to travel the road of suffering, disease, oppression, not just uh, Roman 
oppression, but also her own religious establishment and her own communities. Would she have to bear those uh, burdens as she traveled the road of her pregnancy and life itself? And then came the plaintive plea. Yesterday, I asked, as I, as I asked Gordon, can you do me this favor? Can you learn this new song? He went over it, and he went over it, and he went over it, and he called me back, and he said, it's going to be kind of mournful, kind of uh, tentative. That's going to be the tone of that song. And you could, didn't you hear that in, the, in that song? And, and that's, that's probably what was going on in Mary. And then she pleads, breath of heaven, Holy Spirit, hold me together. Be always near me. Lighten my darkness. Pour over me your holiness. So this is the plight of one who receives what could be viewed as bad news because an unexpected pregnancy for an unmarried woman is often interpreted as bad news. She was troubled. She was frightened. She was most certainly overwhelmed, at least as she contemplated what that would be like without God. I think many people today receive bad news, and instead of running to God, they curse God. They expect, they feel that they're owed a trouble-free life. I'm not sure on what basis they assume that. But the two most righteous people in the New Testament, Jesus and Paul, were constantly on the run. Two of the most important people in the Old Testament, Abraham and David. Abraham never owned property. How about Moses? He was chased out of his town. And David? David really never enjoyed much life in the palace. People were wanting to do violence to them. Often, on what basis do we presume that we should have a trouble-free life? But when God is in your life, and I don't mean just a little bit of God. I don't mean like the cherry on top of the Sunday. I mean for the one who has absolutely surrendered their lives to God, there is always hope. Not necessarily hope for a trouble-free life, but hope where it counts in the depths of your soul. Hope for uh, peace in the midst of chaos, joy in the midst of tragedy. But John, the, the doctor says, I'm terminal. But John, the doctor said, my, or, uh, my kids are in rehab or, or my children aren't raising my, my grandchildren in the right way. Even in the very worst cases, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes me will live even though he die. You say, it's as bad as it gets. Jesus said, I'll take care of that too. Well, that's one side of Mary, the plaintiff side. The mournful side of Sarah. But there's another side of Sarah, or of Mary. 
And, and while Amy Grant captures um, really that, that um, the voice of anguish inside of, of Mary and the, the tentative side of Mary, the gospel writer Luke captures yet another side of Mary. And this is from where our hope comes. The Magnificat, as it has been called, magnify the Lord. In the midst of the fright, the overwhelming circumstances, confusion and chaos, Mary had another side. Let's consider her response to this unexpected pregnancy. First of all, Mary had a heart of praise. Mary came to Elizabeth's house, perhaps to escape the ridicule of the prying eyes of Nazareth. And I can imagine Mary falling into Elizabeth's arms and dissolving into tears. And Mary pours out a heart, not of bitterness, but a heart of praise. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, I would tell you that I don't know how to magnify the Lord. Because to magnify something is to make it larger. And God created an infinite universe. Ex nihilo, the the theologians say, which means out of nothing. But God created billions and billions and billions of solar systems and billions and billions of stars. God made them all. And not, not only did God make them all, but the Bible says God named them all. We have a, a lady in our church here, Sandy Decker. Hi, Sandy. Sandy has 72 descendants, children, spouses, grandchildren, whatever. How do you, how do you remember 72? And then how do you remember their birthdays? I just put them all on retainer. That's what you need to do. I'm not going to remember your birthday. Here's here's $25 the 1st of January. That's good for the year. But God didn't just create the stars. He named them all. And I don't know how to make God any larger than that. But I think Mary was saying that this God, having renewed her hope in spite of life's vicissitudes, was being magnified in her. Her experience of this incomprehensibly large God was expanding and issuing in praise from Mary. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 49, she says, holy is his name. I think this is exactly what God wants from each of us. A brimming experience with a big, holy God. Why do some people have to suffer in order to get there? And others, like me, for instance, so far, pay precious little for that experience. I don't know. And frankly, it's above my pay grade to know that. Mary would pay a steep price for that experience with God. I'm speculating. 
that she was driven from Nazareth by the nosy busybodies in town who decided that she was lying and gossiped her right out of town to her sister, her, or that is her cousin, Elizabeth. And then she lived with a son who was just different and likely mocked and rejected by the other children. And then she suffered the ignominy, the shame, and the piercing pain of her son hanging on a cross. But God was her portion, her rock, her deliverer, a heart of praise portended hope for Mary. Mary had a sensitivity, second, Mary had a sensitivity to the less fortunate. I think it's kind of interesting. My my daughter is a physical therapist, and she says she gets shouted at and harangued by her patients every day. Sounds like a burnout job to me. But that's because otherwise sweet people, when engulfed with pain, see their world narrow and nothing else is important other than their pain. You may have experienced that yourself. Certainly you've seen it. Only a person of hope can see past the pain and can think that there are others less fortunate than even they are. Mary was a person of hope, and in her fear and sense of overwhelming circumstances, Mary says, Luke chapter 1, 52 and 53, He has exalted those of humble estate, and He has filled the hungry with good things. Third thing that Luke tells us is that Mary had an awareness of a sovereign God. Now, you might say, well, what is, what is, what do you mean when you say sovereign God? Well, what I would say to that is, I taught that in Sunday school two weeks ago. You should have been there. That's an advertisement for you, Greg. <laughs> Mary had an awareness of a sovereign God. Life has a way of delivering unexpected things to our door. Uh, you've experienced many yourself, but for the purposes of this sermon, COVID certainly has put a crimp into nearly everything. Uh, there's been a health effect to COVID. There's been an economic effect. There's been a political effect. There's been an educational effect. There's been a career effect. There's been a merchandise effect and the dreaded supply chain effect. There's been an inflation effect, transitory or not. Who would ever have imagined it just two years ago? And how life has turned upside down in two short years. And when these sort of things happen, we make value judgments on life and on the God of our lives. We determine that God is not good because there there are things happening that aren't what we hoped what we anticipated, or what we expected. So we curse God. Maybe we don't articulate that as a curse, but under our breath, or maybe at night after we turn out the light and are waiting to go to sleep in the darkness of those moments, under our breath, we give God a good what for. Or maybe we simply drift a little further away, thinking, well, if this is what he's going to do, 
that he hasn't earned my continued interest. But we don't really have the frame of reference to make that kind of value judgment of God and his ways. It may appear that way in our finitude, in the fact that we have a short life relative to all of eternity. God has a perspective that's eternal. And God knows how these things are going to turn out. We don't. How many times have you experienced a bad thing and it really turned out to be kind of positive? It's happened to every one of us. But in the moment, we say, well, I didn't, I didn't like that. I didn't anticipate that. That was not what I expected or wanted. God is in control. And Mary got it. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be according to your word. And fourth and finally, Mary had an appreciation for the need of a Savior. When there is no one around to help see, help us to see our sin, it's easy to get lazy and blind to our own malfeasance. God had been silent for 400 years. The greatest kings, prophets, and priests had been silenced concerning sin and salvation. So, the spiritual condition of the folks was just plain flat in Mary's day. But Mary, a poor, unwedded, pregnant, adolescent girl, has the spiritual sensitivity to know that not only does she and her people have a need for our Savior, but it had to come from outside of herself. This was not a bootstraps type of arrangement. I've mentioned before the dialogue that went on between Desiderius Erasmus and uh, Bob Reeder's good buddy Martin Luther on the topic of grace. They had a, a, a they called it a polemic in the day. We don't call it that very much, but they had an exchange of correspondence concerning the meaning of grace. And Erasmus said, "I view grace as as parents." walking behind a toddler who is just learning to walk and, and be there to help if they fall. Martin Luther said, I see things as somewhat more dramatic than that. I see grace as a caterpillar in a ring of fire. There's only one way out, and that is from above. And Mary acknowledges that same truth. So, Mary said in Luke chapter 1, verse 47, And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And in its entirety, this is how Mary's Magnificat, the song of praise, reads. Beginning at Luke chapter 1 and verse 46, going down to verse 56, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This poor, poverty-struck, peasant girl, 
Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones, just like uh, like Hannah prayed that Rachel read for us earlier. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, sent the rich away with empty hands. Did you know, I just learned this from my good friend Jim Neal last Friday, that in the time of Mary uh, in the Roman Empire, three out of four people were slaves. There really wasn't much else to minister to except the poor. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth three months and then went back to her own home. So that is Luke's account of Mary's Magnificat and tangentially Amy, Amy Grant's uh, interpretation of, of uh, Mary's life and circumstances. What is the takeaway? Number one, I think sitting here today, we have quite a number of people who are living in fear. Overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, mystified by the things coming at them. Bad reports from doctors, perhaps even terminal diagnoses. Trouble in their household. Kids and grandkids going off the rails. Exhilaration from good things. But those, those exhilarating moments are muted from fear about where it would all go. Health, family, finance, and your own psyche. Not knowing how you're going to be able to deal with all of it. Life is hard, and it's spinning faster and faster and getting outside of our control. Where will it all end? Amy Grant sang it. I am waiting in silent prayer. I am frightened by the load I bear. In a world as cold as stone, must I walk this path alone? And the answer is shared by Mary and by Amy Grant. Breath of heaven, hold me together. Be forever near me, breath of heaven. Pour over me your holiness. Absolute surrender. May it be to your servant, as you have said. Believe in the Savior. The Savior who's outside of you, God our Savior, who has dealt with your sin and paid a high price for its satisfaction. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the cross. And Mary would ponder these things and would one day look up at that cross through tears but in absolute surrender. Perhaps she was more than anyone else other than Jesus. She knew what the reformers would one day say, post tenebrae 
looks after darkness, light. Darkness yields to light. The story's last chapter has yet to be written. Help me be strong. Help me be. Help me. Would you pray with me? Our great God and Heavenly Father, we look to you as the Savior outside of us who who took matters into his own hands because we were unable to deal with the sin and circumstances of our life. And so you bore those sins in your own body. You went to hell and back for us so that we might have life. And so, God, we pray that you would take our hearts, that we might yield to you in absolute surrender so that we might see hope where there's chaos. We might see light where there's darkness. We might have joy in trouble. Help us be strong. Help us be. Help us, oh God. Amen. A little town of Bethlehem. Let's stand. benediction, for it is now unto Jesus, who is able to keep you from falling. It is now unto Jesus, who is able to present you before his glorious presence, spotless and with great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and honor, majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. Might I see the elder back?